started. We're in John chapter 14. You can turn there in your Bibles. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. An awesome text, which the subtitle in the scripture uh, say, says it's titled, Jesus Promises the Holy Spirit. So uh, let's read this, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now... I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk, with you, talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, we thank you, uh, God, for the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would glorify uh, the Father, this morning, we pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted high above every other name. We pray that we would get a clearer picture of who you are and your work. And Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would have that, that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better this morning. And so, Jesus, transform us, change us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Right on. You may be seated. Well, this is a great text. Uh, we were in the first half of this chapter, John chapter 14, um, last Sunday. It's the early part of the evening on the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed. He had met privately with the 12. They had withdrawn to an upper room where during supper we see in, in John chapter 13 that Jesus rose from his place. He removed his outer garments. He proceeded to washed the feet of the 12, and he told them this. He said, I've given you an example, and I want you to do just as I've done for you. And then when he had resumed his place at the table, the scripture tells us that he was troubled in his spirit, and he declared to them that one of them was going to uh, betray him. And so when they asked, is it I, is it I, is it I? Jesus said, it's the one to whom I give this bread. And he dipped a, a, a morsel of bread, uh, 
in the cup and he handed it to Judas and Judas took it and Jesus said to him, what you're about to do, go do quickly. And Judas rose from the table and he, scripture says, immediately went out and John said that it was night. And then Jesus commanded his disciples. I want us just to back up here a little bit so we get the picture where this text is happening. He commanded his disciples. He said, a, a new command I give you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then he said, I'm leaving. And Peter's going to deny me. And, and this whole scene's going on. And all this information for the 11 that are now present was just way too much for them to digest and to handle. They were deeply distressed. Their hearts were troubled. That's the picture that we get when we come to John chapter 14, that, that they were distressed by the things that Jesus had shared with them. He told them, one of you is going to betray me. And he identified the betrayer. He, he told them that Peter would deny him. He told them that he was going to leave them. And in just a short matter of time, that which had started out as this nice evening with the master alone from the crowds, like having dinner, had turned into this mysterious source of anxiety, and they wondered about the things that Jesus had shared with them. And the result was this, and we talked about this last week, their hearts were deeply troubled. Agitation, distress, worry settled in. Inner calmness became inner commotion. Fear, anxiety, Worry gripped their hearts. And so to troubled hearts, John chapter 14 starts this way. You can look there in your Bibles in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so in the first half of this chapter, we saw Jesus give three reasons why the disciples could trust in him and believe in him and put their hope in him. He said, you have the hope of heaven. I'm going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you that you may be where I am. So he says, you've got the hope of heaven. The second thing he told them was this, is that you know the Father. You know the nature of the Father. You've, you've seen in me the Father. I've revealed to you the Father. And the third thing, to be a source of calmness to their hearts, was this, that they had the privilege of prayer. Jesus said, you can pray in my name. Ask anything in my name that I can bring glory to my Father. And I'll do it. And so Jesus gave these, these three reasons to the 12 why three truths that coupled with their belief should calm their belief in him, belief in Jesus should calm their hearts. But Jesus wasn't done. You have the hope of heaven. You know, I have revealed to you the Father. Um, I've given you the privilege and the power of praying in my name. But he wasn't done. And in the text this morning, what we're going to see is two more reasons why Jesus was worthy of their trust, worthy of their belief, and why he's worthy of our trust, and why he's worthy of our belief. And so Jesus told these, the, the 12, I, I, I'm going to leave. And you think about this, they've spent three years with him. And, and the thought of him leaving, the thought of life without his presence was not something that they wanted or were looking forward to. It shook their hearts. And so, so when he assured them that he was, well, he assured them this. He assured them that he was not abandoning them. I'm, I'm not leaving you to abandon, uh, abandonment. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not deserting you, but rather I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to my father and I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. 
I won't leave you alone. And so he asked them for this. Look at verse 15. He asked them this. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. He, 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 see, with the 12, Jesus had already said a new command. I give you love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. Love was to be the new motive for their life. Love was to be the motivation for everything they did. Jesus said, by this, men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so love was the new motive for their lives and for their troubled hearts. The thought of Jesus leaving because they loved him so much was just crushing. Jesus said, well, if you love me, do this. Obey me. If you love me, show it by your obedience to my word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so love was the new motive for their lives and obedience to Jesus was the new rule by which they were to live. This is the thing that's to command all your actions, obedience to me and to my word because you love me. Love for Jesus expresses itself in the keeping of his commandments. Now to me that's like really interesting because I'm like, our culture and our world does not connect love and obedience like, do you ever think of that? You know, like in any conversation about love in the world, do you hear obedience connected to that? I'd say it's not even on the radar. But one of the most beautiful and intimate expressions of love for Jesus is to do this, to give him your obedience. That's to submit your will, to say, Jesus, I love you. And because I love you, I will keep your commands. Because I love you, I will bring my personal desires and actions and goals in line with you and I will surrender to your authority and I will surrender to your command, Jesus, because I love you. And I think about that, I'm like, wow, that's like, you know, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Now, we hear that, we go, whoa, that's, that sounds really demanding. But I would remind you that earlier that night, Jesus had got down on the ground, removed that outer robe, and he had washed his disciples' feet. The scripture says that he showed them in doing that the full extent of his love. And I love that because Jesus never asked that love express itself in obedience until he first got down and served the 12, until he first loved them. We love because he first loved us. You go, well, how much does Jesus love us? Well, enough to stretch out his arms on the cross and be nailed there. He loved first. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You'll keep my commandments. You'll submit yourself to me and be obedient to me. You'll trust me with your life. You'll learn to obey what I command if you love me. And I think, you know, that's true love. That's true love right there. No matter what the world tells you love is, that's true love to say, I put you, Jesus, ahead of myself. I put your plans and your word ahead of my own desires. And so love was the motive and obedience, the, the active expression of love that Jesus was calling them to. 
And then Jesus told them about someone else that he was going to provide for them in his absence. Someone who would be with them forever. I'm going, he says. But I'm going to send you someone else. And this is actually the first time in John's gospel that we see Jesus specifically talk about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. Check it out. Is it warm in here? It's kind of warm in here, isn't it? Can we flip that back door open a little more, please? Thank you. Verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus says, well, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving, but you know, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send someone else. Now you think about this, the disciples had come to know Jesus. Through Jesus, they had come to know the Father. And we saw this last week, that if you want to know the Father, you have to look at the Son. You look to Jesus to understand the nature of the Father. You don't look to your earthly father. You don't look to earthly dads. You look to the Son, Jesus, if you want to understand the Father. And now Jesus says he was going to ask the Father, and the Father was going to send someone, someone else, Another helper. Helper. Some, some Bible translations call him the comforter. Maybe you're holding the Bible. It says the comforter. I'll, I'll send to you the, the comforter, which is a nice word, but it's actually like a little bit soft with regards to what's being expressed here in the original language. To describe the, the Holy Spirit, it, it kind of gives the impression, you know, that he's like, he's going to soothe you in your sorrow. You know, when my kids were little, uh, two out of three of them loved the soother, you know. And it was like a miraculous thing in our house to just put that plug in a kid's mouth. And it would work so good, you know. It would comfort them when they were unsettled. And, and you know, yeah, you just pop that puppy in there, and then there was peace in, in the house. And, you know, Isabella, of course, she's the third kid, so we were getting a little soft as time was going on. And... And so when we would tuck her in bed, she loved to go in bed with a, a soother in her mouth and, and then two or three clenched in each fist <laughs> like this so that, you know, should she spit one out in the night, she could reach around in the crib and find another one and pop it in there. The Holy Spirit is not a soother. Okay, that's what I want to tell you. The Holy Spirit is, is not a comforter in, in the effectiveness of a soother. The word comforter actually comes from the, the, the Latin language, and, and the word is fortis, which means brave. Not soothe. It means brave. It means to make a person like a fortress. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to make you brave, to comfort you so that you're like a fortress. The Holy Spirit will make you like that. Not, not a soother. He will strengthen he will strengthen you. He's a helper. That's what this ESV says. He's a helper. That means he'll stand beside you. He will advocate for you. He will defend you. He will stand up for you. It literally, in, in, in the original language, means this. It means he will come beside you. He's a parakletos. He will come and stand beside you, and he's called to that position. That's why I would say this, that it's biblical to call on the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we go, we treat him like the, you know, the strange 
uncle and the family were like, we, I don't know how to deal with the Holy Spirit and, and prayer maybe. And, and I would tell you that it's biblical to pray to the Holy Spirit. It's biblical to call on him to say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need your help. I, I, I need you to help me stand. I need you to make me a fortress, to make me brave in the midst of what I'm facing. And it's true that sometimes we approach prayer and we don't, we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. You know, I would, I, I would just tell you, you can call on him. Jesus says some things about the Holy Spirit in this text. He says that G Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the answer to his prayer and a gift from the Father. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is a helper. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, that he will lead us into all truth. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit cannot be received by the world, but that he will be with us and he will be in us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be with you and that he will dwell inside of you. He, he's beside you, but, he's, but he also dwells in us. And so I would say this, you gotta call on the Spirit in prayer. It's biblical to pray to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And, and you can pray to God and you can call on the Holy Spirit and you can say, Holy Spirit, help me to know that you're present, that you're standing with me. Make me strong, make me brave, make me a fortress. Here's a prayer. You know, here's a prayer you could pray. Holy Spirit, I love Jesus and I desire to obey his commands. Help me to obey his commands that the Father would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Like we call on him. We call on him. And Jesus called him another helper. Not another as indifferent. An another as in similar. Another as one of the same kind. The Holy Spirit, the idea is this, the Holy Spirit will be just like Jesus. He'll strengthen you. He'll make you like a fortress, just like Jesus would. He will come alongside of you, just like Jesus did. That's what Jesus is telling 12. He'll, he'll be present with you, just like I've been present with you. And you know, that makes me think, you know, that's how you recognize the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, is this of the Spirit? Is God's hand in the midst of this? Well, I'll tell you how you recognize it it will look just like the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never do or act or say anything contrary to the nature of Jesus. And so Jesus said to the, his disciples, what I've been to you, the Holy Spirit will be for you. He'll stand by you. He will protect you. He will defend you. He will be in you. He will lead you into truth. He is the spirit of truth. Here's what else Jesus said about this helper. He said the world can't receive him. The world can't receive him because it, it neither sees him nor knows him. You know, that's like one of the differences between those who belong to the kingdom of heaven and those who are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. Those who are of the world. Now, lots of people believe in God. 
You go out there and you, you ask people, do you believe in God? And I, I mean, the bulk of the population believes in God in some sort of sense of the word, some sort of explanation. You might talk with them about Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? And, and they might have some formulation of who they think uh, Jesus is and, and some concepts about Jesus. But then you mention the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is totally foreign to anybody who does not belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's like, who? What? There's a Holy Spirit? They don't have a clue. They don't know that though Jesus might not physically be here, the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world, but the world does not know who he is. It's like interesting to think about that, that you can, well, Jesus talked here about he's with, he's with you and he's going to be in you. That it's like you can know someone on the outside. The disciples knew Jesus on the outside. Jesus had yet gone to the cross and died for their sins and been buried and raised from the dead. They, they, only, know, they only knew Jesus on the outside, but he told them your relationship with the Holy Spirit is going to be different. You're going to know him on the inside. You know him on the inside. And so he says, I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I won't leave you alone. I'll send the spirit, the spirit of truth, and he'll be with you forever. And you know, when I think about the spirit of God living inside of us, dwelling in us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, this for me is where like your faith moves from this objective reality that's logical and rational and can be understood to something that is subjective and experiential. You can, you can know all about God between your ears. You can know information about God. You can have knowledge of God in your mind, but it's different than 18 inches lower where your heart is. Because knowing God is not just about information. Knowing God is not just about knowledge. It's not just about reason. It's not just about logic. Look at knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, having the spirit of God indwell you is about an experience. It's about a relationship. It's to be transformed. That's why the scripture says it's like being woken from sleep. It's like being blind and being able to see. It's like being lame and being made to walk. It's like being dead and raised to life. It's an experience. Jesus said, you got to be born again. There has to be a transformation and he was asked, born again? What does that mean? Do you go back into your mother's womb? Like, how can a man be born again? And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm speaking to you with regards to the things of the spirit, about spiritual life. You have to be born again. And the Holy Spirit is the difference between the believer and those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. His indwelling presence to be born again. The transformation to be made into the temple of God where God's spirit comes and dwells and lives. 
Verse 18, Jesus said this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. I mean, you read this and I'm like, wow, this is kind of strange actually, all these things Jesus is talking about. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful passage, but it's like, it's kind of strange at the same time. It's like, wait, you're leaving, but you're gonna come to us. You'll see me no more, but then you'll see me. Because I live, you will live. Jesus is saying this, that when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes and dwells in you, I will actually come back to you. That I myself might not be physically present, but I will be present spiritually in the Holy Spirit. You will live because I live. In that day, he says, you will have a different relationship with the Father. We read this, and what we see is this, is that you can't have the Holy Spirit dwell in you if you don't have the Son. And you can't have the Son without the Father. And, and it's like, we believe in the Trinity. Our God's a triune God, one single whole, but, but expressing himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have you ever tried to explain that to somebody? Or heard someone else teach it? I'm like, oh great, I gotta teach on the Trinity. How do I explain that? Well, you know, we use this different explanation. It's like, well, an egg, you know, like there's an egg, and egg has a shell, and it's got an egg white, and it's got a yolk, and there's three distinct parts, but it's one. Or we like point to an element like water. We say, well, water can be, a, it can be in a solid state. It can be in a liquid state. It can be in a gas state. And its nature's not changed. It's still the same element. It's just, and we use different pictures like it. We say, well, human beings, we're triune. We have like a body and we have a, a soul and we have a spirit. And, and you like try and explain these things and it's like hard to grasp, isn't it? Like even within church, we're like, how do you explain the Trinity? How do you grasp that? Well, this text is awesome because this text tells us the key to understanding the triune nature of God. I want you to see this. Verse 21, Jesus says this, whoever, keeps my whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will manifest myself to him. How does that help us understand the Trinity? That's my question. Well, I would say this. The key to understanding the Trinity is loving Jesus to the point that you will submit your will to him and obey his commands. That you will express your love for God in your obedience to the word of God. And here's why this is important. Because understanding the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit isn't about rationale. It's not about logic. It's not about human comprehension. It's about a love relationship. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my word and I will reveal myself to you. The Father will reveal himself to you. He's saying this, if you love me, love will understand things your mind doesn't. 
Remember Solomon? Solomon, the scripture says, wisest man who ever lived. He said, there's something I can't explain. I see it and I can't explain it. In fact, he said there was a few things, but one of them is important. It's the one I want to point out. He, so there's a few things that I, I, I don't understand, you know, the way of an eagle in the sky. I don't understand the way of a lizard on a rock, whatever the other ones were. He said this, and I don't understand the way of a man with a virgin. It's like, I don't get love, man. You like lose your mind when you're in love. You like do things that can't be rationally explained. That's what love will cause you to do. And I would say this, love is not to be logically explained. Love is to be experienced. Love is to happen in, in here. And when you love, you will do things that go against your understanding. You remember when you were in love, young with your wife? You're like, I'm losing my mind. I'm like doing crazy stuff. This is not normal. What is going on? Love will cause you to do things that go against your understanding because you're motivated by your heart rather than your head. Again, Jesus said, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the kind of relationship God wants to have with those who are obedient to him. He says, I want to reveal myself. I want to manifest myself. I want to show you the many layers of myself. And it's interesting, this has to do with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we go, okay, well, because the Holy Spirit's in me, I know Jesus is present. Because Jesus is present, I know the Father is present. I can't, like, rationally explain it. I just, like, know it. It's like my mouth says, Father. My mouth says, Jesus, help me. My mouth says, Holy Spirit, come and stand beside me and make me strong and bold for Jesus' name. And this is awesome because what Jesus is talking about is becoming the temple of the living God. It's about a love relationship. And so the question is this, I think, well, how much do I love Jesus? If I want Jesus, if I want God to reveal himself to me, I want to experience the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to experience the work and the power and the presence of King Jesus. I want to experience the work and the power and the presence of the Father. Then it comes down to my love. And the question is, how, how do you know how much you love the Lord? Like, how do you know that? How do you, like, self-evaluate and say, how do I determine where I am on the scale of my love for God? Am I a one? Am I a ten? Where am I at? And Jesus gives a key. He says, you look at how much you obey my word. If you love me, you will obey my commands. You go, oh, no. I don't know the commands. I don't know what Jesus wants. Well, then you have your answer. You know, one person can say that they love another, but the only real test of loving a person is this. If, if you love a person, 
their wish is your command. Those of you who are, are, are married know that it's like, it's not always like that, you know. But there are seasons. You love your spouse and it's like, you're like on it. You do things before they ask because you're like, I love them and I want them to know. Their wish is my command. If you love someone, you want to share your life with them and have them share their life with you. And Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey my commands and I will reveal myself to you and the Father will reveal himself to you. I love you, the Father loves you, and we want to show ourselves. I I don't know about you, but I think, wow, man. Okay, I get it, but obeying Jesus' command is not easy. Seems sometimes a little overwhelming. Like, well, how do I do that? How do I obey Jesus' command? Well, listen, this is why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is with you. Jesus said he's, he's going to be with you forever. He's making you brave. The Holy Spirit is coming alongside of you and he lives in you and he is making you a fortress for the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is present in your life because you are the temple of God. He wants to partner with you. He says, you call to me and I'll help you and I'll bring obedience in your life to Jesus' command. And and so again, I I would say here's just a great prayer, a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, I love Jesus. Help me obey his commands that the Father would be glorified. Judas was hearing all this, not, not Iscariot, but Judas, maybe Thaddeus, verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I mean, you know, Judas didn't understand. How, how, how is it? How is it we get to, how, how come the world is missing out here? And, and we know this. They, they had this idea of the Messiah. They, they didn't know about the first and second coming of Jesus. They had this idea that the Messiah was going to step into the, the throne of Israel and the world was going to find out who he was and that is going to happen. Just didn't happen with the first coming. It's going to happen with the second coming. And and so he asked this question, and, and Jesus answered him, that, uh, telling him that, th- that the key to having revelation, the key to a revelation of Jesus, is how you respond to his word. Look again, verse 23. Jesus repeats this principle. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him, and we will come to him, And we will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus is saying this in response to this question. The question is, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus says, I'll reveal myself to you because you love me. You're going to keep my commands and the world is not going to. They're not going to understand who I am. And I love this because it says there that 
at the end of verse 23, my fa- if it, well, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Indwelling presence of the spirit, indwelling presence of Jesus, the indwelling presence of the father. It's amazing that earlier in this chapter, Jesus said this, I'm leaving and I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. But he says this, Here's the question for this morning. Will you prepare a place for me? Will there be room in, in, in you for me? Will you make a home in your life for me? You know, we're, we're looking, you know, go back to the early part of this chapter. Where it's like, we're looking for a home in heaven and guess what? The Lord is looking for a home on earth and people to dwell Verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love those verses because you just see this dynamic in this relationship between the Holy Spirit, between the Father, Jesus, how the Trinity is working together. You know, this instruction is, like, if you love me, keep my commands. And you know, for us, there's two problems with regards to keeping God's commands that we face. The first one is this. We're ignorant. We don't know them. We don't know the word of God. We, we don't know what God wants us to do or what God says. And, and the second is this. Sometimes we forget you're like, oh, don't, I knew that. I knew that, I should have known. And we have like short memories. We forget what, what God has declared to us in his word. So, so two problems that we have. And, and to me, it's amazing that this, that this is the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's the solution for both of these problems. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will, will come to you. I'm gonna send him in my name. And the Father is going to send him in my name and he will do this. Number one, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. That's amazing. You know, you don't need me. You don't need me to teach you. You don't need a mentor to teach you. You don't need like, I was thinking about it this morning. You know, I've like had some ongoing relationships with a local cult group that I've been having some fun with. And and it's like, they need their organization. The organization tells them how to think. The organization tells them uh, what to say. The organization tells them what the rules are. Look at you don't need me. Be free in Jesus' name. You have the spirit of God. We have this gift. This is a gift that we get to come together. This is a gift from the Lord that we get to be taught the word of God. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to teach you all things. You don't need any man to teach you. You got the word of God. You got the spirit of God. You dive in there and he will reveal to you and he will transform you and he will change you and he will conform you to the image of Jesus. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the solution to my ignorance of the word of God. He wants to teach us all things. 
He's also, the solution in this is that I, I like forget. I forget the word of God. But look at what Jesus said. He will teach you all things, the end of verse 26. He will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The, the Holy Spirit is like a, a God-ordained reminder. And he said, I, he will remind you. He will cause you to remember the things that I've said to you. That's amazing. Like, you, you think about the instructions of Jesus when he's like, man, you're going to be brought before rulers and councils and all those people. Don't you ever worry about what to say because my spirit will teach you what to say in that time. You will remember my words. You know, doesn't the Holy Spirit do that for you? Times of trouble and different things. He, he reminds you. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. Remember this. Remember this truth. Remember this truth. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is to do this, to make the presence of Jesus real in our lives and to make the commands of Jesus effective in our lives. That's what the book of Acts is like demonstrating for us. In the book of Acts, we see the early church. And it's like 11 men from the Galilee and they turn the world upside down. And people are like, these guys have been with Jesus. The power of the Spirit was at work in them. They were, they were coming before rulers and leaders and God was anointing them and helping them speak. And, and so here we are, like a little more than 40 days, 50 days before all of that happened, the coming down of the Spirit at Pentecost. And the disciples are troubled in their hearts. Thought, oh no, Jesus is leaving. And his response is this, I'm leaving, but the Spirit is coming and he'll be with you forever. And then Jesus promised them his peace. Look at verse 27. Second thing that Jesus promises, the presence of the Spirit and his peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. I leave it with you. I'm going, but this is what I'm leaving behind, my peace. Wherever Jesus was, he brought peace. Raging storm out on the Sea of Galilee, he stood up, he rebuked the wind and waves, he said, peace, be still, and there was peace. When he spoke to troubled hearts, there was peace. And the reason why there was peace was this, is that wherever Jesus was present, he was in control. Wherever Jesus was present, he was in control of every single situation and obstacle and storm and everything that was happening around these disciples. He was in control. He says, I'm leaving you my peace. That's the one I'm going to leave behind. And you know, we've been talking about this through the book of John. I think, man, the world is like longing for peace. It's looking for peace. But their peace, the peace that the world looks for is like, always dependent upon something on the outside of themselves. 
governments, finances, you know, nations, leaders, someone else. It's always dependent on someone, someone else and, and something that's on the outside of them, some outward circumstance. What's your idea of peace? A couple years ago, we went camping at Win Winthrop down, you know, North Cascades. You ever been down there? That's like a great spot there. We were at the state park and we were there for a, f a few days and we had the tent and it was like ripping hot, like too hot to do anything except sit lakeside. I had a good biography that I was reading and uh, my kids were there. Eli wasn't there, but the rest of us were there and uh, we had an inner tube by the lake and my lawn chair and food and a cooler with cold drinks and uh, Joan and I had a football we were chucking around and we had a badminton net set up, and I'm like, this is the bomb, man. This is awesome. And uh, I was reading uh, Greg Laurie's book on, uh, I'm just blanking out, S Steve, uh, Steve, uh, Steve McQueen. I was reading Steve McQueen's biography by Greg Laurie, telling the story of how Steve McQueen came to faith in Jesus Christ and was saved near the end of his life. And uh, I'm sitting lakeside, and the Lord spoke to my heart. You know, because I was on holidays. I was like having rest. I was having peace. And uh, the Lord said, is this rest? Is this it right here? Is this what it's all about? Sitting by a lake in a lawn chair? Like, is that rest? Is that peace? He said, no, no, no. You come to me for peace. You come to me for rest. Rest doesn't happen in a lawn chair. And I, I, I was like, I was like convicted. And, uh, you know, I just tell you that story to say, what is your idea of peace? Is that peace? You know, retirement? Like, I don't know, Mexico? Is that peace? Are these things peace? No, peace. Peace has nothing to do with outside circumstances, true peace. Peace has everything to do with what's happening on the inside. What's happening on the inside? And Jesus said this to the 12. He, he said, I'm leaving you my peace. I'm going to leave this for you. And this peace is not going to depend on circumstances. It's not going to depend on finances. It's not going to depend on world governments and leaders. It's not going to depend on your circumstances. It, it's not going to depend actually on anything, any storm, anything on the outside of you. The peace that I leave with you is going to be everything to do with the inside of you. The peace of God within you. I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving you my peace. The Holy Spirit's coming. You have the hope of heaven. You know the nature of the Father. You have the privilege of prayer. I'm sending the Holy Spirit and I'm leaving my peace. You know our peace, our internal peace depends on some things. It depends on, it depends on knowing that we have a, a home, a heavenly destination. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
Jesus is preparing a place for me. Jesus is preparing a place for you. That's why you can have peace in the midst of whatever happens in this earth. One of the, one of the reasons we lack peace is because, because sin has left its mark on our lives. You know, we, we, because of sin's guilt. And when we know Jesus and Jesus comes and, and we surrender our lives to him and, and he brings his forgiveness and he washes us and cleanses us of sin and rem- removes that guilt, we can say, wow, you know, like, the devil's got nothing on me anymore. I, my sins are forgiven. There, I have peace with God. My sins are forgiven. So I, I, I have a home in heaven. I know that my, my sins are forgiven. Another reason why people lack peace is because of pressure in their lives, man. It's just like we live in a culture that's going 100 miles an hour, right? <laughs> Spinning our tires more and more and more all the time. You look at Jesus, and Jesus only had one obligation on his life. His one obligation was to do what the Father commanded. He says, he's the Father. He tells me what to do, and I lovingly obey him. Father runs my life, and I have peace because of it. And, and, and I, I think that it's amazing that Jesus is like saying, I leave you my peace, and, and look it, if you love me, obey my commands. There's so much you can worry about in this life. Just obey Father. Obey the word of God. Let the Lord run your life. That's a source of peace to have him in control, to be submitted to him. So the promise of heaven, you know, the blessing of a clean conscience, and we have one obligation, church. You only have one obligation in this life that really matters. To obey. And if you obey, you can face anything. You can face anything. In fact, Jesus is standing in the shadow of the cross while he gives this message to the 12, to the 11. Look at what he says in verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let's go from here. Jesus is standing in the shadow of the cross and he says, the devil has no hold on me. No matter what this life brings, this world does not have a hold on me. I I belong to the Father. I do what the Father commands. I I love the Father and my my greatest desire and what's going to happen in my life is this, is that the Father would be made known. That they would know that I do what the Father commands and that I love Him. And I I love that because, because it means this. Look, if you love Jesus, you can face anything. Anything this world can toss at you, church. Anything. Because Jesus is in control. We have his peace. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have a destination, heaven. We have the power and the privilege of prayer. The Father has been made known to us. There's nothing you can't face, church. 
nothing that this world can toss at you. You, you, the Holy Spirit will make you brave and make you a fortress for Christ and for his name. And so again, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's a command. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't, it's interesting that I can let my heart be afraid. Don't let your heart be afraid. Assure yourselves of these things. And Jesus, is, as we read these things, he's, he's appealing to the inner man. Not outward conformity to religion. Not ritual and religion and games, church. Saying, be led of the Spirit. Be sensitive to the work of the Spirit. Allow Him to make you strong. You have something that the world does not possess. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I think about this text and I guess, I don't know, do you know Jesus? And if you don't, I guess the question you should ask is this, how do I receive the Holy Spirit and how do I receive this peace that Jesus offers, the peace that he leaves? How do I have the indwelling presence of this spirit that only followers of Jesus have? And how do I have this peace that has nothing to do with outside circumstances and everything to do with the inside? And the answer is this. You've got to receive Jesus. You've got to surrender your life to Jesus. You have to surrender to the lordship and the rule of King Jesus. And Jesus loves you. The Father sent Jesus and Jesus came on the Father's mission and he died on a cross and it was about making things right between God and his creation, between creation and creator. And Jesus gave his life on a cross. He died for your sins. He died for that which separates you from God so that when you put your faith in him and you put your trust in him, your sins could be forgiven and the broken relationship between you and your father in heaven could be restored. You could be born again. Sins forgiven. And you could become the temple of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will come and live and dwell inside of you and the peace of Jesus that has nothing to do with out, outside circumstances will be real in your heart. You know, when you talk to people, that they're, they're there and they've made a decision for Jesus. One of the first things, say, hey, do you feel anything? Do you sense anything? He said, well, I sense peace. It's not manufactured. It's something that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the presence of his spirit. And, and so, you know, maybe you're saying, asking yourself that. How do I receive the Holy Spirit? How do I have the peace of God? Look, at, it has everything to do with Jesus and responding to Jesus. Invite him into your life. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I, I, I believe you died for my sins. I ask you to forgive my sins. I confess, Jesus, your Lord. I invite you into my life. 
Come and be the Lord of my life. If you've never done that before, I, I promise you, something will happen on the inside of you if you do that. There'll be a peace that will come. Jesus will leave his peace with you and the Holy Spirit will help you. He'll come and dwell in you and he'll make you fortress. He'll make you brave. He'll make you strong for Jesus' name. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come and I'm gonna just,